take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're starting in verse 32 this morning, and we are working a long way this morning. We're going all the way to Acts eleven eighteen. Need to, though, because this whole passage goes together. And it says particular things. Luke is saying certain things in this passage uh, that, uh, that we need to hear. And to break it up, broke up the message. So we, we need to see all of it this morning. Uh, it, it won't be as bad as some of y'all are thinking, I promise. Uh, we, we should get out by uh, e-group time. A um, few years back, uh, a number of years back actually, I was on staff at a church and we built a, a brand new facility. And there were a lot of plans for that, the, not just the building, the main buildings itself, but the grounds. We had ideas for a, a softball field and uh, uh, a basketball court and uh, I think some other things maybe. But uh, I, I think the reality of finances, as, as often does, uh, kind of got our attention there and we weren't able to do everything that we wanted to do at the time, but one of the, the discussions about particularly the basketball court was how we protect it during the week. It's a good question to have. It's a good conversation to talk about. We, don't, uh, we want it to be a ministry tool, but we don't want, to, uh, we don't want it to be abused and have to re- replace things regularly. So we were having that discussion, and it, it, the, finally actually just came to the conclusion, not right now on the whole thing, So we were planning an outdoor pavilion with it and all this, this other stuff. But while finances were an issue, part of the topic or part of the conversation, or maybe I should say a statement made during the conversation, well, was, well, that's okay, it would only attract undesirables anyway. Never, ever, will I say or be a party to hearing that there are undesirables for our church. There are no undesirables. There is no one that we will turn away from hearing the gospel. And this passage is talking about that, that we have uh, moved through some some major milestones for the early church. We, we were the church in the community. Now we're the, the church to the world. And what God is telling his church now then, or telling his church then and telling his church now, is that old prejudices must die. This, this passage, this lengthy passage that we're going to look at, is the condemnation of prejudice. It is the... Uh, the final nail in the coffin of prejudice. We're going to see that it doesn't go away. Um, that it doesn't kill the actual uh, existence of it, but it kills the idea that it belongs in the church in any way, in any form at all. And we've seen prejudices already be, uh, be killed, be sacrificed. We, we've seen Philip go to the Samaritans, which would have just, that's just not possible uh, but okay, maybe. Uh, we've seen Philip then go to pagans, uh, Simon the Magician. Uh, we've seen the gospel presented to them and, and him respond, but he, he, preferred his, uh, he, he preferred a religion of power and it, it didn't work out the way he wanted it to, but still the gospel was presented. 
we saw it uh, go to the undesirables, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, someone that, the, 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 uh, that wasn't even allowed in the gate of the temple because of who he was physically, couldn't worship, couldn't get close to God, could be a God-fearer as he was, but couldn't get close to God. We saw the gospel go to the chief of sinners, Paul will call himself later, a persecutor of the church, a murderer, he called himself and now we see the gospel go to other eth, uh, race, uh, races, ethnicities, and nationalities. We truly see now what Jesus said, the ends of the earth in Acts 1.8. We see that happening in this passage. And what we see in this passage is, is a realization on the part of Peter and some in the Jerusalem church that this is more than just agreeing that they can be saved. Uh, that's part of it. That's going to blow their minds too. Wait, you mean Gentiles can be saved at all? Wow. But this renewed, not even renewed, this new relationship that they're going to have with the Gentiles is going to affect them more than just believing they can be saved. If I can use an example from our own Southern Baptist history, if you remember last summer, I talked about our, our history in great length and how resolution after resolution after resolution starting in the early 1880s I believe of evangelizing former slaves that was great it was fine if former slaves came to know Jesus they just couldn't own anything and couldn't read and write and we were going to have Jim Crow laws that kept them in their place etc 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 so we've had the idea that, okay, it's fine if they come to Jesus, but they're still not, still not us. This passage makes clear the sinfulness of that idea in 41-ish A.D., 1860, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 1860 A.D., or 2018 A.D. We're going to see the gospel move into the Gentile area, and this should excite us because almost everybody here is a Gentile. I don't know how many of us have uh, Jewish lineage. Uh, I, I think maybe one here does that, that I know of, but everybody else, we're Goyim, y'all. We, uh, we are Gentiles. We are outside of the faith according to what the Jerusalem church thought that we're going to see. So we see the gospel move into Gentile territory here. Long passage. I'm not going to read it all now, or I'm going to read it as I go through. So start with me, chapter 9, verse 32 of Acts, and we get to two healing occurrences for Peter. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda, there he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, Don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with him. 
When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the, wind, all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with him. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her, helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. The, the focus of this passage, there are a couple actually. One of them that we need to see in the broad picture here is that Peter is moving into Gentile territory. Uh, Lydda, Joppa, these are seacoast areas. They were uh, somewhat Gentile, depending on where you were. Philip has already been here, if you remember, when he uh, went from, he was in Samaria, and he went to the road on the way to Gaza, then he was taken away to um, a town on the coast, and then moved up the coast in a missionary endeavor all the way to Caesarea, where Peter's going to end up here in a little bit. So he was, the, the, some work's been done among the Gentiles, and, and that's what Peter is, is doing here. He's making kind of a, a church tour to see how things are going. But there are none more despised by Jews at this time than Gentiles. You just, you, you, there were all sorts of laws that, that commanded them to stay away from Gentiles, purity laws. Now, the reality is, by this point in, in time, the Pharisees had, you, you, you had the law, and the law might keep you right here. But the Pharisees had added and added and added so that you had a buffer that went way out to here to make sure that you kept this law right here in the center. But we're going to create a buffer so that I, we make sure you can't break that law. And had added to what God had said to the point where there was no love, no missionary endeavor among the Gentiles. The Jewish people were supposed to be a missionary people. That's what God created them for. And they weren't so much. We're going to see that that begins to affect even the, uh, the Jerusalem church at this time. So these purity laws kept them from being around Gentiles at all, and here Peter is now doing a church tour through a predominantly Gentile area. These healings that he's doing, uh, we could talk about them, but there's not much, you know, not much to break down in the passages. He healed Aeneas, he healed uh, he healed Dorcas. They parallel Jesus' healing ministry. As a matter of fact, they are almost word for word uh, 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 paralleling or mimicking Jesus' healing ministry. But they're in this increasingly Gentile area. As a matter of fact, the healing of Aeneas parallels the healing of the par uh, paralytic in uh, Capernaum that's recorded in Mark uh, 2 9, if you want to read that later on, you want to write that down. Uh, Mark 2 9, the healing of Dorcas or Tabitha. Tabitha was her Aramaic name, Dorcas was her Greek name. They, they both meant the same thing. It's paralleled. Uh, its parallel is a verse, a uh, passage in Mark 5, verse 41. It's so paralleled that what Peter says to. Uh, um, Tabitha to Dorcas 
is Tabitha Coom, and what he says to what Jesus says to the to Jairus's daughter is Talitha Coom. There's one letter difference in Aramaic in, in the way that they said it. Tabitha, get up. Talitha, get up. Same. There, there's a. It, why is Luke doing this? Why did God lead Peter to to do these things? Because he's trying to tell us something with the text. More than just recounting, hey, isn't it cool how Peter went around healing people? He's creating an image. He is taking the ministry of Jesus from the Gospels and telling us, telling Theophilus, the one he's writing to, that the ministry of Jesus has continued in the church. There's no difference now. Jesus is the same pow- was the same power then, or, or Jesus is the same power now in the church that he was then in the church. Jesus is still healing people. He's just doing it through his people now instead of him doing it himself. So they uh, parallel this ministry. Lydda was slightly Gentile where Aeneas was. Joppa was mostly Gentile. Peter's going to end up here in a little bit in Caesarea that was a vast majority Gentile. We see the increasing number of Gentiles where the ministry is, is having an effect. And both of these places, because of the healing, people come to know Jesus. Does it tell us who? Uh, very likely, these churches that were there were a result of the Hellenists. Uh, remember Stephen's group, Stephen's killed, but the Hellenists, like Philip and others, they scattered. They probably scattered to these places, and we see these churches springing up. And it has to be Peter at this point. Now, we've already been told that Saul is going to be the missionary to the Gentiles. He knows in his calling from Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that that's what he's going to be. That's what he's going to do. Yet, now, God has to tell Peter the same thing. Peter is this paragon of Jewishness to the Jerusalem church. Peter would never break one of the, the, the purity laws. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So Peter had to go through this and had to be told what was going on, how the, the, the net was expanding into the Gentile nation. So he goes, we go into Gentile territory. Then Luke tells us about a Gentile vision. He tells us about a man named Cornelius in Caesarea. Chapter 10, verse 1, verses 1 through 8. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those, those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Cornelius was a seeker. We would, we would call him seeker. Uh, we would, we would want to have a, uh, the, the, the phrase was we want to be a seeker-friendly church. We, we wanted people who are looking for something to feel welcome when they come here so we can tell them about the something that they're looking for that they probably don't realize uh, that they're looking for. 
Cornelius was a seeker. He was not happy, and this was not uncommon, uh, he was not happy with the polytheism of the Roman pantheon. He wasn't happy having to necessarily worship Caesar and, and think that everybody above him was some sort of god. There, it was empty religion for him, and he was looking for something more. And, and many Roman soldiers found it in either, especially in the Middle East, in, this era, in, the, in Israel, this area, uh, they found it either in another pagan religion, religion or in Judaism. And we're told about this guy who was a seeker and had found some hope, found some comfort in Judaism. Now, he would not be considered a full convert. Uh, oftentimes, adults would uh, have forays into Judaism, but especially for adult men, some of the requirements weren't the most comfortable for them. Circumcision. Uh, they just didn't want to go all, all the way, you know, so they would, they would do a few things, find comfort in it, and that's where we find Cornelius. He's, he's doing a few things, but we wouldn't call him uh, a full convert, but he is devout in what he does. He's, he's generous. He prays. He is he's looking for something that's more than what he had growing up, and he thinks he's found a lot of it in Judaism. So he gets this vision where God says, you know what, I've seen what you're doing. I know, what, I know why you're doing it. I know what you're looking for. I'm going to send you somebody. You need to go get him, but, but I, I, there's going to be somebody that will tell you what it is you're really looking for. And he tells him to go find Peter, Simon Peter, staying with Simon the Tanner. Now, we need to point out where Peter's staying right now. He's, he's in this mostly Gentile town of, of Joppa, and he's staying with someone who was regularly considered ritually unclean. Uh, a tanner is always coming in contact with dead animals. So anybody who was devout and religious and planning to go to the temple on a regular basis couldn't be around a tanner. So we already see that Peter's got this idea that, you know what, there, there's, there's some, some gray area here, right? I mean, I, we've, we've got churches in Lydda, kind of Gentile. We've got churches in Joppa, very Gentile. Uh, he knows about the work of Philip in Caesarea at this point, really, really Gentile. And, you know, here I am with Simon the Tanner, probably a believer. You know, he's not clean, but... You know, he trusts the Lord, so maybe there's... He's, he's got questions, I think. God's preparing him through this passage. Incidentally, Jesus' first recorded ministry to a Gentile, do you know what kind of person, what job that person had? Wasn't a tanner. We talked about two jobs. It's okay to say something in church. Centurion. Jesus' first ministry to a Gentile was to a centurion. You remember the one who came up to him and, and said, you know, my servant's sick, all you have to do is say the word, and you can heal him, well, let's go to your house. Nope, nope, I know you, a man of authority when I see it. All you have to do is say it, and he'll be fine. And he says, I'm, and I've not seen such faith in all of Jerusalem. And then he makes this statement. He says, many from east and west will eat at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Matthew eight eleven. 
telling this Gentile, hey, by the way, you're just the first of many, dude. Folks are going to come from all points of the compass to eat at this table that right now the Jews think is just for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the descendants. Let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of folks at that table that don't look like them. So we have that promise from Jesus. And then the first gen, truly, purely Gentile convert is a centurion. So we're told about that, that, uh, that vision of, of Cornelius's, And then we, we leave that. That's, that's, that's on day one, maybe. He, he, he has this vision. So he sends a, a group that would have been about a day's travel from... Uh, half a day if they're on horses, a day's travel if they're walking, to, to Joppa from Caesarea to get Peter. The next day now, Peter's praying, he's hungry, and we get to see a Gentile's supper. Verses 9 through 16 of chapter 10. The next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually, un ritually unclean. Again, a second time the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. In this sheet, as Peter's praying about noon, which was not the common time to pray, but Peter was a devout man, he, he sees this vision of everything he could eat and everything he couldn't eat in this sheet. It probably had crawfish in it, uh, shrimp, um, bacon, probably piles and piles of bacon in there. And and, and he was hungry, and he sees all of these things. And, and, and Peter's told, kill them, eat them. And Peter says, no. I, <laughs> okay, God, this is too far. You know, you, I know what you said. Dude, this is a trick, isn't it? You told me not to. You're just, gonna, you're just seeing if I will, right? I'm supposed to say no here, and you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, for not eating this good bacon. Um. That's probably Peter's mindset. But if Peter just thought, and, and, and he was distracted, he was praying, he was hungry, that he wasn't expecting this big sheet to come down with animals in it, I mean, that'll, that'll throw you off your course, right? Your OODA loop, if, who, who went to that security training? This messed up Peter's OODA loop in the middle of his prayer. If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to Tom. He'll explain it all to you. But if he had thought, he would have remembered, wait a minute. Jesus said that one time, because the, the Pharisees were talking about, we didn't wash our hands before we ate. And Jesus said, you know what? It's, it's, not, that, it's not what goes into the stomach that defiles. It's, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. I remember him saying that. That's right, but no. And if you want to look that up, that's Mark 7, 14 through 19. But Peter wasn't thinking about that. He was just thinking, I can't do this. Okay, God, uh, you've got churches on the coast. 
Lydda, Joppa, Caesarea even. You've got churches. I'm, I'm going. I'm staying with this tanner. I mean, I smell the animals here that he's been, he's been uh, 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 skinning and, and tanning their hides. I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff for you, God, right now. You can't give me this too. This is too much. Does it sound like any comments you've made before to the Lord? God, I can't handle this right now, too. You, you know you told, I, I know you told me to do this, and, and your grace was sufficient for that, and, and you'd get me through this, and you've asked me to do this other thing, and I've got it. But now you want me to do this, too? No, Lord, I've just, I'm, I've got enough on my plate right now. Pardon the pun. And he said, no, I'm not going to. But what, the voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. That word kill might be better translated or is at least used as the word for sacrifice. And that probably was part of Peter's problem. He's like, hold on, Lord, you didn't just say, you, you didn't just say kill them, you know, slaughter them. You said sacrifice them. I recognize this religious language you're using. Sacrifice and eat. These are not an acceptable sacrifice. And these are not acceptable to th th things to eat. God is beginning to give Peter the inkling now, not only am I going to change what you eat, I'm going to change the way you worship, dude. There is a new way, and you're, and you're not going to be comfortable with it, you're not going to like it, but it's what needs to happen in order to reach the world. He, he, is, he is totally screwing up Peter's OODA loop. And then Peter denies him three times. That should have gotten his attention. Three times he's going to deny the Lord. Does that ring a bell for any of us where maybe Peter denied him three times? Good old Peter. If you want the example of a hard-headed learner because you maybe or I maybe are hard-headed learners, and we need to look at the Bible, okay, who... Who struggled to get things sometimes? Who could that be? Well, maybe it's the guy that denied Jesus three times and then when was restored three times on the beach after Jesus rose, he, he didn't quite know how to answer the question right three times. And then when it comes time to fulfill the ministry that Jesus gave him in Acts 1-8, God had to tell him three times to do it before he caught on and as we read, we really still don't even see that he quite got it yet. He's going to. It's coming. But these three denials then met three demands. What God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made clean, do not, Peter, do not call them impure. And then there's a knock on the door. His day's ruined at this point. I mean, he was just going up there to pray before lunch. He got this vision, and now somebody shows up at the door. It's probably the Jehovah's Witnesses. I guess at this time it'd be Yahweh's Witnesses, maybe. Knock on the door, and we get to see a Gentile home. Verses 17 through 33. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, 
uh, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, not the tanner, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, perplexed, it says at the beginning, he's, he's, he's really, okay, I don't know what this, Lord, I, I, I don't have time for this. The Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. Before I forget, no doubts at all, that word actually means with no prejudice, with no, um, there's another word I'm looking for and I lost, so I've already forgot it, forgotten it, so never mind. But it's not just don't doubt, I'm telling you this. Don't go down there with any preconceived notion about what you are about to encounter. Don't go down there thinking, well, when you see them, wait a minute, these are Gentiles. I, nope, hold on. Nope. Throw your prejudices away now, Peter. Go down with no doubts at all because I have sent them. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Remember that. Any per- God has shown me I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without an objection, without prejudice, when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and, Cornelius, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately I sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. God connected Peter's vision with Cornelius and Cornelius' vision. God let Peter know, you saw this sheet of animals. You saw food. You saw unclean uh, uh, critters. I was showing you something much, much bigger than that. And God brings those two together. And as we read the passage, we see that Cornelius now has a house full of Gentiles. He has invited everybody he knows. Wouldn't you, don't you think, when a vision comes and says, hey, send for this God, and he's going to come and tell you this great message, don't you think you're going to invite people? Hey, y'all, I don't know what the message is, but I just had an angel tell me to invite this guy who's going to share this message. It's for, and come on. Y'all, come hear this message. And he's got a house full of 
of Gentiles, a house full of friends and family. See, when God sends a message, you tell other people. At least you should. So he gets there and he tells them, you know what, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in this room. I'm not supposed to be in this house. It is forbidden for me to be here. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Let's reflect just for a second. What was in that sheet again? Animals. Did it say anything about people in, in the sheet? Uh, that have been awkward. Here, kill and eat. There have been people there. Hold on. Yeah. No. No people. But Peter gets the message that no unclean food meant that there were no unclean people. Primarily what defiled the Gentiles for the Jews was what they ate. Because, because, uh, because of what they ate, they were unclean. Therefore, the Jews would have been unclean if they had associated with them. And of course they would have been unclean if they had gone in and had a meal with them and not known what the, the meat was. That, was. that would have been bad. Whether the utensils had been cleaned correctly, that would have been bad. Or even if the meat, even if it was acceptable meat, was it slaughtered correctly? There were a lot of rules they had to follow about what they could eat and who they could eat with. So when Peter saw these animals, he knew that there was a relationship between food and table fellowship. Let's, let's go back. Y'all, this is the beauty. This is the beauty of, of going through a book sequentially like this, expositionally as we work through it. Because now we get to go back just a couple of chapters and, and just a few chapters and remember that, that the early church, what did they do? What characterized them? Prayer, uh, it, uh, uh, the, the apostles' teaching, going back to chapter, I guess it's three, maybe four, the apostles' teaching, and breaking of bread, fellowship, table fellowship. The church was known for that. They got together all the time and ate leftovers and stuff. And they were excited to do it. They wanted to spend time together. That was a hallmark of the church. And now God is telling Peter, invite them over for cards and leftovers after church too. Wait, you mean the Gentiles? Yeah, because the food's good. The food is good. The people are good. He, he got it. He knew it right here. It's, it's still going to surprise him here in a couple of verses. Even he's going to be a little amazed. And later on, chapter 15 of Acts, uh, we learned about it when we read Galatians 1, I think. This is going to bite him. He, he, he's he's going to get it, but he's not going to live it exactly right all the time. This, this will bite Peter later on, but right now, right now he gets it. He's, I'm not even supposed to be in this room, but the Lord has told me that there are no unclean people. And then we, in this Gentile home, after we've seen a vision of this Gentile supper, we get a Gentile sermon. Verses 34 through 43, Peter began to speak. Peter opened his mouth, your translation might say. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man. On the third day, and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That Peter opened his mouth, or as my translation says, Peter began to speak. This is a a New and Old Testament formula for a weighty, important message. Now, we are not going to deny here this morning at all that the weightiest message that he preached in these few verses is the gospel of Jesus Christ, gospel uh, that Jesus lived and died on the cross for our sins and through and he rose again and through our faith in him we receive forgiveness. That is the highlight, that is the the purpose of the message. But the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth after he opens his mouth, after he begins to speak I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. The thing that has blown his mind at this point is that he is about to preach the gospel to a Gentile, a room full of Gentiles. That's what gets him. I I guarantee you he is still amazed by the gospel. And when, when people come to Christ because Aeneas is healed or Tabitha is healed, he's blown away. He rejoices at every uh, salvation from the Jews. But now he is going to present the gospel to a Gentile. And he so he sets the scene. He opens his mouth and he sets the scene with evidence of God's love. God loves Everybody is what he tells that room full of Gentiles. And if they were fainting people, they'd all fainted. There's just no way. I mean, sure, we give him money, we, we tithe, we pray to him, but he cannot love us the way you're talking about. And he says, God loves you. And then as we go through his gospel presentation, we see that he presents the same gospel message to the Gentiles that he would have ever presented to the Jews. They hear the same message, the same way of salvation. It's not different for you Gentiles. Again, if you remember Galatians, that was a problem. For Gentiles have to come to Jesus through Judaism is what the Galatians are being told, and Paul has to set them straight. There's a circumcision party that's going to be mentioned here, a group that supports circumcision, maybe I should say. Uh, We're going to hear from them here in just a few verses. They're still at work later on. And, and that's going to have to be corrected. But, but he knows, Peter knows, right now, it's the same gospel. It does not matter who you are. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel message is for everyone. So after we have this Gentile sermon, we have a Gentile conversion, verses 44 through 48. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles? There's no question mark there, but that's the way they would have thought it. Really? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? You hear Philip's comment? When the Ethiopian eunuch got saved, uh, uh, we hear the Ethiopians say, here's water, what's preventing me from being baptized? Philip says, nada. Can can anything prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. He stayed in the house. He lived with Gentiles for a few days. And I'm thinking he didn't fast while he was there. He ate their food. He ate probably just what they put in, in front of him. But notice in this Gentile conversion, notice what wasn't there. Paul, uh, Peter never had a chance to give an altar call. There was no altar call. He presented the gospel message. And what do we know by evidence, uh, evidenced by the Holy Spirit? What do we know happened when that message was presented? They received Christ. No, no prayer, no asking them into their heart. Not that these are bad things to help people, but they knew when they heard that message, they believed. We're ready. We, we, God told us we were going to hear a message on how to be saved. You present that message, we believe. And before he could finish, while he was still speaking this, these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. There was no imparting of the Spirit here except by the Spirit. In the past, when, they, uh, were, when Peter and John laid hands on them, the Spirit was imparted. And, and uh, this, though, looks like Pentecost, when the Spirit just came down without anybody's mediation. God is clearly telling them, this salvation of these Gentiles has nothing to do with you because you're an apostle, or has nothing to do with you because you're a Jew. It has everything to do with me wanting to save everybody. It is my wish, my command, my will that all come to know Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile. And we see this miraculous conversion because every conversion is a miracle. And then we see the outward manifestation of that. Here they speak in tongues. In every situation of salvation in Acts... Or maybe I should say not in every situation of salvation in Acts do people speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit doesn't always come by the laying on of hands. It's different throughout. But all of these are opportunities for God to say, this is my work. You cannot chalk this up to anybody else. And you cannot deny my work that I'm doing. Because I am doing this, not you. It doesn't matter what you want. Saul, it doesn't matter if you kick against the goad. Uh, Peter, it doesn't matter if you don't think that should be eaten. Church, it doesn't matter if you don't like how it's being done. If people are coming to Christ, if the mission is to reach people for Jesus at all costs, we should rejoice when they do. Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? Nope. So they were. And then Peter has to defend it. Verses, uh, we move to chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. 
The apostles and the brothers and the sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and they were verklempt. Uh, when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, you ate with them. Me, 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 me. I added that part. That's not in the original Greek. Peter began to explain to them step by step, and he tells them, we're going to hear Cornelius' story now for the fourth time in two and a half chapters. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, I went to Joppa pray, and I saw the trance. I saw the food. And, and, and when, when I got done, he, God said, eat it. And I said, no. And he said, eat it. I said, no. He said, eat it. I said, no. And then these guys showed up at the front door, and they say they're from uh, Cornelius's house. And the Spirit told me to go with them um, in verse 12. Then six, these six brothers also accompanied me, accompanied me these six that are standing here with me, and remember that, they, these six, and we went into the man's house. He reported out to us how he had seen the angel standing in the house and saying, send to Joppa, etc., etc., in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning, at Pentecost. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, if... Then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. How could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Dad, come in this awesome. That wasn't in the Greek either. The racists in Jerusalem weren't happy. The, the circumcision party, the, 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 the traditionalists, the ones who had been there the longest, they weren't happy. This was more change than they could stomach. Again, pardon the pun. But as we read through Acts, we need to remember something about Jer- the Jerusalem church. They never sent a single missionary. They never sent a missionary party. We're going to get to missionaries here in uh, chapter 13. Actually, we're going to introduce them next week. Chapter, uh, verse 19. The Antioch church sent missionaries. The Jerusalem church never did. They did not have an evangelistic heart. So they wanted to keep, if that meant those people were going to come to Jesus, then we don't want any part of that. How dare you, Peter, go down there and eat with those people Fast forward with me just a little bit to Acts 15 in the Galatians, and what does Peter get in trouble for doing? From Paul, what does he get in trouble? Called out for his hypocrisy? For not eating with Gentiles when there are Jews around. We'll get there. But what Peter says here, how could I possibly hinder God? Peter could not deny what God had done. He couldn't chalk it up to anything else. I was talking and the Spirit came down. I didn't lay hands on them. I didn't give an altar call. I, I, didn't, I didn't ask them to fill out a connection card. I didn't do anything. The Spirit just came. You going to tell me that was something I wasn't supposed to do? He's actually following Gamaliel's advice. If you remember when Peter and John, uh, yeah, when Peter and John were on trial the second time, when all the apostles were on trial, Gamaliel told the Sanhedrin, you know what, if, if this isn't of God, it'll die. But if it is, you better not be found working against it. And Peter echoes Gamaliel right, how, right here. This is God's work. How could I possibly hinder it? 
In verse 18, when they heard this, you notice I, I differentiated between the they's. When they heard this, when they, the racists, when they, the circumcision party, heard this, they shut up. Didn't mean they were convinced. It means, well, they pursed their lips. said, fine, but this isn't going to last long. We'll get rid of old Peter. Interestingly, Peter, after this incident is less of a leader in the Jerusalem church, and James becomes the leader of Jerusalem church. Peter lost his position by standing on what God had said. And I guarantee you, Peter was perfectly fine to hear them. They might not have formed a committee, but if they're going to fire him for standing on God's word and doing what God said, deuces, I'm out. He's fine. The Hellenists, they... They pursed their lips and shut up. The Hellenists, the six that were with him, they rejoiced that God would save Gentiles. They rejoiced that anybody could be saved. And that should be where we find ourselves, rejoicing in what God is doing. So what are our takeaways here? If there's any person, race, group, you despise, you're sinning. Here's takeaway number one. We've got a bunch here. Uh, Luke's saying a lot of things in this passage that we had to leave together. If there's any person, race, group that you despise, you're sinning. And I'm not just talking about do you think they can be saved. That's fine if they're getting get me saved, but just don't bring them here. I, I know I've been told that in the 50s that was actually said in this church. We'll have a joint revival, 50s or 60s. Uh, we'll have a joint revival, and sure, blacks can come, but they can sit on the back, and an invitation will not be given. Y'all might not have known your history. I know in my previous church that uh, in the late 70s, a Hispanic girl came to Christ, and she was told she could not be baptized in First Baptist Church of Nixon because she was Mexican. See, it was fine for them to come to Jesus somewhere, just not in our church. That's a sin. Number two, we cannot reach our community or the world until we kill our prejudices. Until we believe, not just that they can be saved, but they are worth something. They are valuable. They are the image of God. Regardless of what the outside looks like, they are the image of God. Regardless of the actions that they have been a part of, they are the image of God. Regardless of how much money they do or don't have, regardless of which side of the tracks they live on, regardless of how they smell when they come through our back doors, whether they're clean or not, Tom, they're in the image of God. And they are to be loved by us. And we cannot reach the world until we kill our prejudices. The overarching theme here that we see in the Jerusalem church, now that it's going to transfer to the Antioch church, the Jerusalem church decreases, the Antioch church increases, because we must change to reach the culture. Folks, we don't live in the 1960s anymore. We don't live in the 1980s anymore. It is 2018, and that is the culture that we need to reach. That is who we have. That's where God has us now, 2018. So that's what we have to get our mindset set for is reaching those people. Whatever that takes, however uncomfortable that makes us, whatever food we have to eat that we don't like or we don't think is clean or whatever people we have to accept, we have to accept them. We must change to reach our culture because if we don't, God will just move to the Antioch church and he'll reach them from there. And God wants us to take this message to everyone. There's nobody outside the reach of the gospel. The, the message is the same for everyone. 
It does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you are this morning, spiritually where you are in your life, where you are financially. It does not matter what you brought in with you, what baggage you're carrying, and how difficult it's going to be for you to get it out the door when you leave this morning. Jesus died for you. The message is the same for everyone. The gospel that kills prejudice is for you to admit that you're a sinner. The, the very simple message that Peter shared, admit that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive you. And why will he forgive you? Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believe in him. Believe that Jesus, that perfect son of God, died for you to take your punishment and your sins. And then choose to follow him. Repent. Choose to follow him. Give your life to him. There are a lot of phrases we use. But look at what happened in Cornelius' house. They just believed. And the Spirit filled them. This morning, all you need to do is believe. And the Spirit will fill you. He will save you if you believe with a heart of faith. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you tell us and you tell us and you tell us because you know we are stiff-necked and proud, we're hard-headed, we're stubborn, and we've got to hear the message more than once. The gospel is for everyone. Lord, forgive us of our past where we have exclusivized the gospel to a select few. We have harbored hate and hindered love because of who we thought deserved it. And God, everyone deserves our love. We love our neighbor as ourself, as we learned in Sunday school this morning. God, may we see that work in our church. May we take the gospel to everyone, and may we see change in every heart. And we reach the culture in which you have placed us. Not the culture that we wish existed, but the culture that exists. And we do all that's necessary in order to reach that culture. Lord, move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's your decision? As, a, as an unbeliever, you need to respond to the gospel. The, the, the message of, of acceptance and, and, and love and loving your neighbor, that comes when, when you accept Christ. Right now, that's what you need to work on. That's what you need to fix. But believer, what prejudices do you hold on to that say, I can't love that person? Oh, they need Jesus. I know they need Jesus, but I can't love them. That's a sin. What do you need to give up this morning? The uh, prayer rails are open to you. Come and lay it at the foot of the cross. If you need to accept Christ this morning, you want to talk to me or to Tom. Tom will be over here on my right in the corner. I'll be over here on the left. You come as you feel led. Pray, pray with us, but do business with God this morning as we stand and sing.